Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. We did have a good week. Sports camp went very well. Thank you, Michael, for reminding me. Um, just what a blessing to be able to minister to, I think we had around 65 kids and um, share the gospel and just really encouraging week. So, yes, it was, it was wonderful and tiring. Yes, yeah. All right. Well, good morning, church. This morning's sermon is brought to you by your favorite topic, conflict. I know everybody loves it. Uh, I know we're excited about it. Acts 15, is, it's like the go-to passage uh, to... We're going to have conflict if you keep interrupting me. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, but Acts 15 is the go-to... It's like the go-to chapter for church conflict, for individual conflict. We see, we see how uh, the, the Lord places significance on conflict resolution, on disagreements, uh, how the early church, how they deal with, with conflict resolution. We see that they, they go together to Jerusalem last week. We looked at that and and they debated and they discussed and they came to an agreement about what the truth is. And, and we see the importance of the unity of the body of Christ and how we need to deal with conflict, how conflict resolution is a part of what we do uh, day by day. But we also get to see when the passage today that although oftentimes our sinful natures get in the way, uh, the Lord sovereignly uses conflict and uses us to advance his kingdom. So we have a ton to cover this morning, a lot of ground, uh, and we are going to just get right in, and we're going to start with the obvious truth that disagreements will come. It is just going to happen. So if you will, uh, be in the Bible with me. We're going to start in Acts 15, verse 36. That is, <clears throat> um, hear the word of the Lord. And after some days, Paul and Barnabas, they said, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So the winter of AD 48 is, is given way to the spring of 49. So we see that in, in the after some days, more than likely, Luke is just saying that winter's done and it's time that they can start to travel again. It's safe to travel it was time for Paul and Barnabas to revisit the churches that they had just returned from the previous year. They want to make sure everything's going fine. They want to make sure that uh, the false teachers are not creeping in, and, and they set the mission trip, and then it happens. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now, if we know anything about disagreements, we know that they're going to come because we are sinners. 
we just get in our own way. Our sinful nature causes us to think we are always right. Um, Like I said last week, my wife can attest to that. Uh, I think oftentimes I am I'm right. Uh, That is a problem, and we saw that in the previous uh, the verses last week. Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. This is Acts 15 verse five. They rose up and they said, "It is necessary to circumcise them in order." to keep the law of Moses and order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders are gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stands up and speaks. So we see that it's going to happen. We have different ideas. We butt heads at times. Uh, here, Paul and Barnabas, they both, they, they are thinking uh, they are right Barnabas says, I want to take John called Mark. And Paul says, no, he has already left us. And that leads to them separating and going in different directions. In our disagreements, we believe often we are right. And we might be right. But sin comes in when we're not even willing to entertain the other idea. We're not even willing to hear the other person. And that comes from pride in our hearts. Now, this doesn't mean that all disagreement is sinful. God, he created us. We're unique individuals. We are different. We have different gifts. We have different ways we process things, different thoughts. We have different desires of the heart. And when handled properly, disagreements, they have a potential to to stimulate uh, productivity They have a potential to stimulate dialogue and and creativity and promote uh, change the way that it needs to be a lot of times. But that means that we're willing to swallow our pride. We're willing to listen, to open our ears and hear what the other person has to say. These different ideas and these different focuses often create friction between us. We start to get heated Paul, he's focused on the mission of God. He says, uh, this is what we are going to do. And he didn't want an individual who had left them before to hinder the progress of the mission. He said, he's already left us. If you remember in Acts 13, 13, Paul and his companions, they set sail from Pamphus to Pergia and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We don't see that again until the passage today when they start to deal with it. But obviously, Paul said, he left us. I don't want him coming with us. He is focused on the mission. But Barnabas, on the other hand, is focused more on the individual. He's focused on John Mark, thinking this would be a good opportunity maybe for him to grow as a leader this would be a good opportunity for him to learn from him his mistake or, or to stick with it when the going gets tough. This is probably why Barnabas is known as the encourager. He's encouraging John Mark to continue on. And as you see, neither Paul nor Barnabas here are wrong in their desires. Neither one of these are sinful desires. Neither one of these are wrong, but their focus and their expectations do not align. And that starts to bring friction. That starts to bring disagreement. And we understand that kind of disagreement. I was a mechanic for a long time. You cannot get two mechanics on one job and them not disagree about how to do it. Even if they know the best way to do it, they're still going to argue about, this is the best way to get the job done. 
Some of you are graciously backseat drivers. You want to constantly and, uh, uh, and offer your wonderful advice as you sit in the passenger seat. Uh, and for some reason, the driver just doesn't want to hear it. And that causes some friction for you. You just have a different idea of how they should drive. So we understand that. We understand that differences, different ideas, different gifts, different expectations, and so on, that is going to cause friction. And that's okay. But that's why we have so many churches, so many denominations, so many parachurch organizations, because we have a really hard time, even as believers of Jesus Christ, of of agreeing on the path to take to reach a certain goal. So we split. We disagree to the point where we go in separate directions. The same word here used for disagreement is used in Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Same word translated a little bit differently here. To stir up one another to love and good works is a type of conflict. It's a type of disagreement between the sinful and the selfish life that you may be living uh, or the apathetic life. And you're going to disagree, stir them up to a godly and selfless life. That's what he's saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying we need to stir one another up so that we are causing one another to love like Christ, to live like Christ. This is a positive outcome of a healthy disagreement, that we would glorify and reflect God by acknowledging that we are not against one another, but for and with one another. So we want our disagreements to move in a healthy direction, to stir up one another to love and good works. Disagreements, they also come at times because we divide just among family lines. Uh, We see in Colossians, Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. And that might not be why Barnabas wants to take him along. That's just speculation that would be completely off uh, kilter. But we understand that blood is often thicker than water. That regardless if the person is right or wrong, we're going to stick with our family. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful because Jesus says in Luke 12, from now on in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he's not saying the obvious truth that when we get together, we're just going to argue, especially when we mix families. He's saying that the truth is going to start to divide people. So church, we have to be on the side of biblical truth above all else. In conflict, we need to ask ourselves, am I only taking this stance because I'm being loyal to a person? being loyal to a family member, being loyal to a friend, or because I desire to align with the truth. Disagreements also come because we have a hard time letting go of the past. Uh, Look at verse 38. Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Apart from pride, 
holding on to past things, past grievances, past uh, offenses, is probably the primary reason we are in conflict with one another. Paul's not willing to put the mission at risk because of John Mark's previous performance, his previous abandonment. Eugene Peterson, he reads the verse this way, Barnabas wanted to take John along, the John nicknamed Mark, but Paul wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take along a quitter who, when the going got tough, had jumped ship on them in Pamphylia. So what in the past are you holding on to? Paul was holding on to the past. He, he was almost, I would argue, not willing to even hear about John Mark right then. He was only wanting to focus on the mission. But what about you? Is there unresolved conflict that is causing you to refuse someone a second chance? Of not allowing you to even hear what they have to say? Is there a past sin that you see arise every time you see a person step into your presence? Because unresolved conflict, unresolved past conflict is going to produce at least one of three things. One, you're just going to avoid the person. Every time you see them, you're going to go the opposite direction. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to deal with it. And that is the opposite of the unity God desires for his people. Two, there's going to be an argument every time you discuss anything. You are just going to drum up the past. You're going to say, remember that time that you did this. Remember that time. I'm still holding on to that. Or three, you're just going to be bitter. You're going to grumble. And that's not godly. And it's going to hinder your spiritual growth. It's going to hinder your prayers. It's going to hinder your witness. And it's going to permeate the church. And you might be thinking, well, okay, Greg, if two of the most godly men in the Bible couldn't figure this out, what hope do I have? And I just want to start building up a foundation or from a foundation that God is sovereign over our disagreements. Look at verses 39 through 41. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and he departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. God uses Barnabas and John Mark. He uses them. They peel off and they head to Cyprus. They say, okay, we're just going to go to Cyprus. Uh, that's where Barnabas came from. That's where he was raised. He goes back. Uh, I'm not thinking they go there to sulk on the beaches and talk about how bad of a guy Paul is. Barnabas and John Mark, they head back more than likely to share the gospel, to strengthen the churches that they ministered to back in Acts 13, 4 through 12. We know through church history and even to this day that Barnabas is seen as the founding father of the church in Cyprus. So even though this wonderful team, this ministry team of Paul and Barnabas, even though they separate, their sinful natures get in the way of, of what is going on. The Lord sovereignly uses them to advance his kingdom. 
And as we well know, the vast majority of the New Testament, that Paul, God uses Paul mightily. We see that their team, he goes to Syria and Cilicia. They minister to churches there. They go to this other, um, the second missionary journey. And even though Paul loses Barnabas, God has already had somebody there to take his place. Someone that maybe could do something that Barnabas couldn't do. Silas was a Roman citizen. That's going to be important later on in Paul's life. We're told that he, in Acts 15.22, was one of the leading men in Jerusalem. We're told that he was a prophet in Acts 15.32. So we see God is already working before they even separate to provide someone so that his kingdom, so that his glory goes forward. And we know that Paul goes to minister far and wide just as God said that he would. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. We see in just the next chapter that we'll cover next week in uh, Acts 15, or 16, excuse me, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. Jesus's purpose in building his kingdom that we see every week from Acts 1.8, you will go, the power will be given to you from the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria all the way to the ends of the earth. That purpose is certain to happen. It is going to happen with or without us. But often, even though our sinful desires get in the way, God sovereignly uses us to advance his kingdom. God's purpose for his kingdom is bigger than our disagreements and stronger than our hard heads. Your sin cannot stop God from doing what he is going to accomplish. But what it will do is potentially destroy your relationships along the way. It will potentially destroy the relationships with those around you. It will open up a foothold for Satan. Do not be angry, or be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. When we don't deal with conflict in a healthy way, every time we're given an opportunity for Satan to say, hey, remember that? Remember that conflict? Remember that person? It will create in your heart a bitter root. Strive for peace, the writer of Hebrews says, with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see how a bitter root in one person's heart causes many to be defiled? It starts to work its way out as we grumble and as we complain. It starts to rip and tear churches apart, as we see in Galatians. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So what we see on a, on a micro scale is that relationships get broken. Churches split. Friendships are gone. But on a grand scale, God's grace is far bigger. But do you understand that you suffer for poorly dealing with conflict? It could look like ulcers and indigestion, 
or depression or anxiety or anger. You may even be removed from participating in the kingdom of God, but God's purposes will not be thwarted. His plans are not dependent on us. They are set before the foundations of the world. Job even recognizes this. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It it is going to happen. And this is a great lesson for us to learn because we often disagree and, and we think if things don't go our way, the way that we see them happening, the way that we see they need to happen, it's going to be a disaster. But that's really just pride in our lives. That's not understanding God's sovereignty. Listen, understanding God's sovereignty, it helps us to slow down, to to show respect, because we know I'm not controlling the outcome anyways. I'm not the answer. I don't know how it's going to work out. It's important to develop a healthy understanding of God's sovereignty so that you can stop and you can remember, hey, God's will is going to be done. I can, I can take a breath right now. I can slow down and pray. I can listen to the other side of the disagreement. Maybe even I'm wrong. But God's sovereignty deals a death blow to the pride of humanity. And once we understand his sovereignty... Then we are ready to deal with disagreements. Look at verse 37 through 39 again. Now Barnabas, he wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it was best not to take him with him. One who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark. Verse 40, Paul chose Silas and departed. So let's look at why. Let's look first at the wrong way to deal with disagreements. Remember, disagreements are not always wrong. They're just part of who we are. We're created differently. We're going to disagree. But it's usually how we handle disagreements that is wrong. That's where sin starts to creep in. So we see in verse 39 where this starts to go wrong. There arose a sharp disagreement. A sharp disagreement can be translated a stirring up, a provoking, an attack of fever, convulsion, or irritation. This is where emotions start to take over. This is where our anger, our hurt, our frustration, they start to hinder our ability to think and speak in a cordial manner. This is where the volume in our voice for some of us gets turned up. This is where our hands, they start to shake and we just, tears start to flow down our face and our face turns red. This is when emotions, they take over and the rational side of our brain is no longer able to communicate. It's not able to function as it should. And we often in those times make statements we desperately regret. I often wonder as I read this, how often or did Paul and Barnabas, as they're riding in opposite directions on their camels, uh, think two days later, that was really dumb. That was really ridiculous. 
And we're going in two directions now, and we could have just slowed down and talked through this. There have been many disagreements in my life where I have allowed emotions to drive and regretted everything I said. Allowing our emotions to drive into disagreement is the wrong way. It is not healthy. That's why James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He doesn't say, Allow your emotions to drive. He says, Put them on the back burner and listen and shut your mouth. It's the wrong, it's wrong to separate on bad terms. They go in opposite directions, Paul and Barnabas. They, they head in different directions. The word picture here for separating can be, can be translated bursting from pressure. That shows us a pretty good um, word picture of what actually happened. Instead of parting on good terms and moving away in a healthy direction, uh, often when we burst from the pressure, we are left picking up the pieces of a broken relationship. And you'll start to carry that broken mess into every other relationship and every other ministry and every other disagreement that you have. Some of you in here are carrying around a lot of past conflict. You have separated in conflict on bad terms and you're starting to see the bitter fruit of that in your heart show up in bickering, complaining, grumbling. And some are wondering, why, why is my spiritual life hindered? Why are my prayers, they seem like they're hindered. Why is my growth as a Christian stunted? It could be because you're carrying around unresolved conflict that's producing in you sin and bitterness in your hearts. You have to deal with these. Jesus very clearly says, you've heard that it was said from old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. It hinders our worship. If we're not dealing with conflict, it is hindering our worship to the Lord. I would encourage you, go to the Lord this morning and ask, Lord, soften my heart because I don't want to do this. Show me the grace that you have given me. Remind me who I was, (laughs) that I was a God-hater and you uh, showed me love and help me to go and extend that grace that you showed me on the cross. Church, fight to bring unity. Don't fight to be right, especially not among believers because the world knows that we are Christians by how we love one another. 
Another wrong way to deal with conflict is doing it publicly. Today, the tendency to deal with conflict is not to do it face-to-face. It's to do it on social media so that everybody can see, and that's not healthy. That's a desperate attempt to get other people to feel sorry for you, to be on your side, and to be against the other person. That is an unhealthy way to deal with disagreement. Church, if you have a problem, if you, are, if you have a disagreement, begin in private. Actually, begin in prayer and then in private. Get your heart right. Discuss it together because your heart should be set on healthy resolve and not an audience. Which leads us to the godly way. How do we actually deal with conflict? We know how to not deal with conflict now, at least in part. How do we actually deal with it? I've taken most of what I'll say uh, from here on out from a book called The Peacemaker. It's written by Ken Sandy. I think it's one of the most godly and helpful books you'll ever find on conflict resolution. And you think, oh, good, I should give it to my enemy. No, read it. <laughs> read it. Because it starts to deal with you first. Actually, it deals with how you're glorifying God in conflict. He says the first step, the first thing that you have to do in your mind is determine I'm going to glorify God in my conflict. So we ask our question, how do I please and honor God in this situation? He writes, "Uh, the best way to glorify God in the midst of conflict is to depend on and draw attention to God's grace. That is the undeserved love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom that he gave us through Jesus Christ. So we ask the Lord, I need you to give me your grace, and I need help extending it. I need to not lean on my own understandings. I need to trust the Lord with all my heart. I don't need to lean on my own understanding, because right now, emotionally, I don't even have an understanding. And in all my ways, Lord, I want to acknowledge you and that understand and believe and know that you will make my path straight. We bring glory to God by obeying him, by going through the process of Matthew 18, by by being patient, by not being quick to be angry, but quick to listen, by showing love for one another. By forgiving as we have been forgiven. And this glorifies God because we're starting to imitate him. Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And as we start to imitate God in conflict, people are going to say, what in the world is going on? I just want to pick a fight with you and you're loving me. Why are you doing it? And then we can say, look, it's not me. I'm a complete jerk. I wouldn't do this if it wasn't for Christ changing my heart. So it is him working in me. It is his, his spirit working through me. It's, he's producing in me love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's not me. And in doing this, you're pointing to God. You're giving him glory. You're saying, it's him. You're not saying, I'm the bigger person. I'm better. I came and said, uh, forgive me first before you did. So in your face, I'm a better Christian. (laughs) That's not why we do it. We want to say God is the only reason he drug my sorry carcass before you so I could say, forgive me. 
Second, we want to get the log out of our eye. We know that. We ask, how can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to this conflict? Did you notice I haven't even got to the other person yet? We're still on heart work here. The first thing is, can I overlook a conflict? Can I overlook this conflict? Uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. Man, I could just sit in that for days. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Have I just blown something out of proportion that I could have simply just said, it's not that big of a deal? So ask yourself, is this really worth fighting over? Some stuff is. Some stuff is worth fighting over. But a lot of it, we could just overlook it. Second, look at your own heart. James reminds us, what causes quarrels and and fights among you? It's the other person. No, it's not. It is not this that you're, is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? Your desire, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. We are trying to get something from someone else that only God could provide. He's saying you covet and you can't get it and so you fight one another and if you would have just asked me, I would have given it to you. I am much more important. I am the one that fulfills you. So this is how this works. We desire something from a person. Let's say you've had a hard day at work. You come home, you just want peace and quiet, right? When that doesn't happen, you demand it. I've worked hard all week. I don't, des- don't I deserve just a little peace and quiet in the house? And then we judge the other person. You should be the one to provide for me peace and quiet. But you don't. You're not doing it. So you're the problem. And then we punish them. And Ken Sandy writes, whether deliberately or unconsciously, we will find ways to hurt or punish people so that they give in to our desire. Man. And that could look like yelling or withdrawing or verbally, verbally manipulating or, or physically somehow. So we have to say, what's going on in myself? What, I need to get the log out of my eye. I need to ask myself, what is going on in my heart? What is happening in my heart? Why am I so upset? Why am I so angry? Why am I so hurt by this? Why am I trying to get from this person what only God can provide for me? How have I tried to punish this person with words or actions? And then we need to confess. We need to take ownership of our part There are close to zero conflicts that are 100% one side. And even if you are 1% wrong, take 100% ownership of your 1%. Own it. Confess it. And that leads us, and only then, leads us to the third step of gently restoring. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual... (laughs) So that uh, prefaces the rest of it that you have already done your work as a spiritual person. Um, 
you should restore them in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch over yourself, lest you too get tempted or sucked back down into the sin that you've already dealt with. So the third question is, how can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to the conflict? And this doesn't mean, I've dealt with my junk, so now you've got to deal with yours, okay? This is, this is where we start to practice Matthew 18. We come one-on-one first, and we say, this is the issue that we have. And the whole heart of Matthew 18 is we're desiring reconciliation. We're not desiring to be right. We're not desiring anything but for God to be glorified and for you two to be reconciled. So you begin with your confession and you speak the truth in love. And once you've done that, you're quick to listen. And you're slow to speak. And you're even slower to get angry. And you give the other person space and you give them respect to deal with this. And if one-on-one is unproductive, then you take two or three. And if two or three are unproductive, Matthew 18 says, then you bring it before the church. But that doesn't mean stand up Sunday morning and tell everybody what's going on or gossip or slander the person among the church. That means you bring it to the elders and they will help you solve it. Just as we saw in the council of Jerusalem, they don't go before all the churches scattered all throughout Jerusalem and ask them their opinion. They go to the elders and the leaders of the church and say, we need help solving this issue. These three steps hopefully lead to the fourth, being reconciled. So we then ask, how can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution to the conflict? Colossians 4.10 suggests that Paul forgives John Mark. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.6 or 9.6 suggests that Paul forgives Barnabas, and they're actually ministering together later on. So reconciliation is seen when we forgive and our relationship is restored to the glory of God. That's what we want, that's what we desire in conflict. And even though there are many facets to forgiveness and, and many facets to reconciliation, that is our ultimate goal: the unity of the body of Christ. There are a few instances, just quickly, that we will, it's necessary to divide. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, as far as it depends on you. That means you go as far as you possibly can. And sometimes people are just not going to have it. But you go as far as you can to live peaceably, and then you pray. And when you, another time as you agree to disagree, there are times you're just not going to agree on something. Um, I'm sure I've disagreed with people on a few things in my life, and I don't want to give in. But that doesn't mean we divide on bad uh, terms. We can say, hey, we're going to serve the Lord together, and in this area, maybe not. But we still love each other, and we still move forward. And then finally, when the church agrees, we see in verse 40, Paul chose Silas, and they departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. If, if they had not dealt with this issue, I don't think the church would have sent them out. 
If they were obviously uh, sinful and had something uh, hindering the ministry, the church would have not sent them out. Church conflict is, it's hard, it's painful, and it's inevitable. We will, some of you are going to fight over what restaurant to go to today. Remember, Proverbs 19.11, is it worth it? But we have, we've been given the Spirit of the Lord. We've been given His precious Word to guide us along the way of righteousness and to bring glory to God, even, even in conflict that seeks to tear us apart, especially the church apart. Satan has no more uh, joy, I think, than tearing churches apart. Some of you, you have work to do today. You have humbling, hard work to do. I had humbling, hard work to do in conflict resolution before I got in the pulpit today. So this, I'm not above this. I do this poorly at times, but before I preach this word, I knew I need to deal with this also. Spend time in prayer. Seek reconciliation. Bring glory to God using what Satan means for evil for good and the world will know the world will know that we are Christ's disciples by the way we love one another let's pray Lord we thank you that your word speaks in the hard parts of our lives that your word shines light in our darkness. And God, we ask that you, that you would soften our hearts. There is conflict abounding. We just think of conflict in the world, conflict in our families, conflict in our schools, conflict everywhere. God, we, we desperately want to honor you, glorify you, So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us, that you would help us to do this, to live for you, to be patient, to ultimately bring you glory. We thank you for your word. I thank you that it's sharper than any double-edged sword and cuts very deeply. But you don't cut to leave us wounded. You cut so that we are healed and we're stronger than we were before. Thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.